0: Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, you amazing human you. I'm Ned Bellavance, and this is a special crossover episode with Michael Levan, the host of fellow Packet Pushers podcast, Kubernetes Unpacked. We got together at Cloud Field Day 19 to discuss the future of private cloud, building an internal platform for developers, and using KubeVirt for virtual machines. Joining us was fellow Cloud Field Day delegate and bringer of TimTams, Mr. Matt Alford of Tasmania. That's right, this crossover episode is an international one, too. So please enjoy this episode and check out the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast when you're done. Well, hey, everybody. I am here with Michael Levan and Matt Alford, and we are at cloud field day 19 we've watched some pretty interesting presentations a topic that keeps coming up is the world of private cloud michael what are your thoughts on that uh it's
1: interesting as with everything in technology i feel like we're doing 360s <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right back where we started <laughs> literally we had OpenStack. we still obviously have OpenStack. Uh, as much as you know it was a pain in the butt for a lot of people and people decided that they wanted to move into you know more public cloud environments or stay in something like, you know, VMware with their ESXi boxes and all that and now we're, you know, we're seeing other implementations of this whole idea of private cloud and not to mention, you know, just hybrid cloud as a whole, right? I mean.
0: Right. So I see these surveys about what people are doing in terms mm-hmm. of the cloud, like State of the Cloud reports Flexera does one every year. Mm-hmm. And people say that they're 45% doing private cloud. And I'm like, no, you're 45% running a vSphere <laughs> cluster. Mm-hmm. Let's be serious, right? <laughs> So what does it actually mean to be, to have a true private cloud? Matt, I'm curious, like what would you define a private cloud versus you just have virtualization?
2: Right, and I think a lot of it comes down to that operational model, right? It's how are you deploying, how are you managing, how are you scaling are some of the key things around. Do I have virtualization, or do I actually have a cloud where People in my organization can self-service. They can provision their own resources. They can scale out or up or down or delete or whatever it might be without having to necessarily worry about talking to the storage guy to say, hey, I'm about to deploy a couple of things. Are you ready for me?
0: Right, right. Or having to put several tickets in through you know, ServiceNow to get mm-hmm. something provisioned as opposed to just being able to go to a portal or run a script or a Terraform apply and have, boom, the infrastructure I need for my stuff. So, okay, if I'm running a private cloud, it's not just virtualization. And yet, I feel like a lot of the private cloud solutions that were touted to us initially fell into one of two camps. It's just virtualization with a little bit of automation tacked on, or it's so unbelievably complex that unless you're a Fortune 500 company with a dedicated engineering team, you're never going to get this thing off the ground. Open stack. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Did I hear something? <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of people went with what they knew, VMware. Mm. Where we're going to use VMware, we're going to stay on it. And VMware has been the juggernaut. But mm. I think things have changed a little bit, don't you? Something's happened in the industry. It's a shake something in the air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think about private cloud, and it doesn't even have to be OpenStack, right? My mind goes to this, you have a portal, just like if you log into Azure, AWS, whatever. Mm -hmm. You have a portal, you have particular options. Maybe you want to do storage, maybe you want to spin up instances, whatever. The key difference between that public cloud and that private cloud is you're obviously managing the infrastructure. You are, not the vendor. I don't know, like when I think about private cloud, that's where my head goes. It's like, it's the same thing as public cloud. Your company's just managing it versus
0: Microsoft. That's almost a differentiation between private cloud and and like on-prem cloud. Right. Because on-prem cloud, I'm thinking, I know that the hardware running it is in a location that I own and manage, Mm -hmm. perhaps. But it could be a a as-a-service solution from a vendor. So Mm -hmm. you think Azure Stack You think AWS Outposts. In that case, it's still managed by somebody else, but the hardware is sitting in your data center. Mm -hmm. Whereas private cloud is, now we're shifting that burden of management responsibility back onto our team, and not just having a vendor take care of everything for us. Do you think there's some gray
1: area there, too? I think there's a gray area when you think about hybrid cloud. Well, again, depending on how you define hybrid cloud, right? It's like when, <laughs> I, when I think about hybrid cloud, I'm thinking about Azure Stack HCI. I'm thinking EKS Anywhere. I'm thinking AWS Outpost. I'm thinking I have this box, and I stick it in my data center, and it makes me look like I'm on the cloud, and I kind of am, but I'm kind of not. Right. To me, that's the gray area, but. Mm.
0: Now, an interesting thing that we saw in one of the presentations today was the idea of a true private cloud that is very low effort to stand up and manage and maintain. And that was from a company called Softiron. And they took an interesting approach, they didn't just slap together a bunch of different technologies and bits of hardware to build a private cloud, like some other solutions out there, not naming names here, but some other solutions out there have taken commodity hardware, some open source projects, a little bit of proprietary stuff, and like smushed it all together. And you can feel it when you try Mm -hmm. to consume those platforms. Things are not tightly integrated, so you can see where the seams are and where the warts are and where things don't quite work right.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And so they took the Apple approach, right, of we're doing the software, we're doing the hardware. Full vertical integration. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Which is interesting because, like you said, not many people do. Or if they do, there's all these other little, oh, for that we're going to use this piece of software and, you know, you've got to integrate that and then, oh, this talks to that. And it starts to get complex again. And then people sit there and think, well, do I just need to run my virtual machines or do I need a cloud, you know, for lack of a better term there? And I think that's one of the other interesting things to maybe unpick a little bit is when we talk about private cloud and back in the data center what hosting are we talking about you know and it's going to differ from organization to organization you know Mm. is is it virtual machines and containerization if so there's potentially a number of solutions but like we spoke about in the presentation today a lot of users and consumers of public cloud are used to just saying hey I need a service bus please or Mm. I need a SQL database or a Postgres database if your solution for private cloud air quotes is A virtualization and containerization solution is it now back on you and your engineers and your developers to have to worry about that you know do they need to containerize something up and host that internally or is there some middle ground here where we can start to get some of those platform as a service capabilities inside of my data center without running one of the hyperscaler solutions.
0: I think there's two trends going on here. One is the idea of cloud repatriation. We built our app in the cloud, Mm -hmm. and now we're finding that it's fairly expensive to do that, or for some other reason, we'd like to bring it on premises. But to your point, if I was consuming a service bus or SNS Mm -hmm. and I have that expectation of that sort of platform as a service to be available in my private cloud, I can't think of a solution that offers that. That's not AWS Outposts, mm-hmm. or you know, basically taking the public cloud and putting an instance internally. So that's one trend that we're seeing is cloud repatriation. The other trend, and this is kicked off by the whole Broadcom thing, is I need to get off of VMware mm-hmm. because my licensing has increased. And we talked to someone today who has been talking to you know Fortune 500 companies mm-hmm. and been told their licensing is going up by 4x. Mm-hmm. And if you think that your licensing is, you know, a million dollars maybe, so now it's going to be 4 million, that's a lot of incentive <laughs> to perhaps move. So let's start with the first trend which is that of cloud repatriation. Is this something we think is real and what is that mean for someone who's trying to do the migration
1: so i think soft iron is giving the ability to kind of make hardware fun again you know like as they were going through the presentation i was like oh this is really cool right like it's exciting and it's intriguing because how did i get into computers and tech a lot like other people right i started building computers for like pc gaming and stuff yep. and that was my thing so when i see hardware like being a cool, hot new thing or whatever. I'm like, no, no, this is something that we've been doing again, the 360, but it gets me <laughs> excited. Now, where it may be a problem is, you know, if we think about 2014, 2015, what was the messaging from Microsoft, AWS? Everybody said, everybody's going to be in public cloud, no more on-prem. So then what did a lot of the colleges start doing? What did a lot of the job training start doing? Oh, we're gonna train you in the cloud. We're in 2014, it's been 10 years of new engineers coming in and working in the cloud. Now, if we're going back on-prem, not a lot of people know, hey, let me take, <laughs> how do you take off this server case? Hey, what pins do you have to pop down to put a stick of memory in? It's those little things like that that not a lot of people may be used to. And then also the simple things of like, for example, Kubernetes, right? Let's say you're, you're going to have a, a service that's public facing. Well, you you know create a Kubernetes manifest, you put it as a service kind or object, you run it and a load balancer magically pops up on-prem. That doesn't happen. You need something like Metal LB or you need other public IP addresses for load balancers. and So it's like there are these things that we know because we've been doing them, Mm -hmm. but the newer engineers that have maybe come in the past five to seven years, This is going to be a whole new thing to
0: them. Right. They do have an expectation that all these ancillary services are just going to magically help out. And you know on-prem, those services don't exist. That load balancer, that is a physical SF5 big IP over here. You can go and hug it. You can. (laughs) And it's very warm. So, yeah, they're not going to have that available to them. So That's the scary part. I'd imagine any true private cloud solution needs to bundle in some of those expectations. The question is how.
1: Yeah, if you, maybe you would like maybe partner with these companies like F5, right? And maybe you would bundle something like that. But Or unless, again, going back to the hybrid thing where it's like maybe you're bundling in where your load balancers are automatically getting deployed in Azure AWS and maybe you're not like managing or dealing with that, but I don't really know how else it would kind of work from a bundling perspective. There needs to be something like that, otherwise it's going to be a nightmare and a fire everywhere. But yeah, it's just mm-hmm. a matter of, I guess, how that's going to work.
2: And I think that's a big part of any repatriation talks, right, is evaluating where you are now, mm-hmm. that you've gone to the public cloud and that you're in public cloud, And why do you want to back out of there? You know, is it cost? Is it security? What does it come down to? And how much has your environment changed since you've been there? And what does that mean for coming back? How trivial is it going to be? Have I started consuming, you know, PaaS services and I need to unravel that now back into containers or virtual machines or... What does that look like from the load balancer point of view? You know, mm. does all of our integrations? Do we have to go and rewrite a heap of Terraform now to integrate mm. with F Five or sure. whoever it might be to bring that back on prem? Mm. I'd say it's happening. I mean, there's been a few mm. public, you know, very public, <laughs> yes, cases of it happening. You know, I think a lot of that is down to what was being ran in mm. the public clouds and can that be ran more efficiently on prem mm. or in a private cloud? Sure, it can.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, and that's the big what. Um... Oh my gosh, I always forget the name. 37 Signals.
0: Yeah, right? D-h-h- yeah, yeah. 37 Signals and all so, that stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, all that stuff. Like, and I've read the blogs, and and from a technical perspective, they make sense. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, to your point, Matt, it's all going to depend on where you're at currently. Like for 37 Signals, they had the engineers mm-hmm. and the hardware to run on-prem. But guess what? If you don't, and now you gotta go <laughs> hire 10 engineers at 150k a pop.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And
1: then buy all the hardware and then put the time into it. You have to look and you have to say, okay, what am I saving if I do this? You know, mm-hmm. if, Hey, if your cloud bill is $2 million a year and you're going to spend a million between salaries and hardware and stuff, cool, you're saving 50%. But you got to sit and think, is that the way that it's going to be? But Matt, again, to your point, it's, it's all situational.
2: Yeah, I was going to tap onto that bit. It's also about what your organisation does, right? Are you a writer and a developer of software? Uh, Are you a consumer of software? and, Mm -hmm. And do you just run other people's software to run your business? And what does your business look like in five years? Are you a large financial firm and for the most part you're probably going to remain pretty similar with the Mm. systems and the processes that you're using or are you have you got a bunch of developers internally and you're you're spinning up stuff all the time and is coming back on prem going to potentially handbrake some of that you Mm. know innovation that the agility for lack of a better term that the cloud can provide because those
0: services come out so quickly Right, right. What is going to provide the most value to you as a business versus Mm -hmm. I just don't like AWS anymore and I want to move. Like, that's not a good reason. It's like when I had my first consulting job and they gave me this janky old laptop and I was not happy with it. And I went to my boss and I was like, I need a better laptop, and he's like, "That is not a reason. Mm. <laughs> you actually need to give me a justification for why that laptop is inadequate, and you need a new one. What additional value will a better laptop give you? it make me happier. Yeah, <laughs> and, you, and I, when I'm happy, I'm more productive. He's like, "That's a stretch. Yeah, <laughs> try again." <laughs> But like I got his point. Like it doesn't make sense for businesses to buy new technology cuz it's cool and shiny or to migrate things because I like this other thing better. It's no, we're moving it because it serves this need or is it providing additional business value to us? The other thing I'm thinking about is the question of migration. Like we know Broadcom finished buying VMware. They've made some changes in terms of licensing. People are thinking about potentially migrating off of it. But that is going to be a painful drawn out process. Mm-hmm because it's not just the hypervisor. It's maybe you're using vSAN, maybe you're using NSX, maybe you're using Mm -hmm. VRA or whatever they call it now, the ARIA suite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely, all of your processes are VMware-specific. All of your training is VMware-specific. All of your people, that's what they know. The real expense is retraining and redoing all of your processes and procedures for a new platform. Mm. If you're gonna undertake something that massive, It needs to provide tremendous business value. I wouldn't want to do a like-for-like migration to another hypervisor platform, and just be like, all right, well, we did it. Now our VMs are running on Proxmox, or Hyper-V, or whatever it is. It should be a stepwise improvement as part of that migration. Hello, podcast listener. If you're
2: looking for even more IT podcasts, check out Kubernetes Unpacked, a podcast by and for engineers who are building and supporting microservices applications. Each episode covers an aspect of the Kubernetes ecosystem, as well as industry developments like DevOps, platform engineering, and the latest tools and technologies. It's hosted by Michael Levan and Christina Devochko, developers who bring their experience and insights to conversations on software development, automation, observability, security, open source, ongoing learning, and more. Kubernetes is complex, but Michael and Christina help you unpack it in every episode. Find Kubernetes Unpacked on PacketPushers.net or wherever you get
1: your podcasts. As an engineer, your job isn't just to write software and call it a day. Your job is, you may not like this, but it's the truth, especially once you hit the senior principal level, your job is to understand the business values. Mm-hmm. Why the heck am I doing this? And does it make sense? So you know, again, thinking about the, the Broadcom and VMware thing, like, yeah, I'm sure you know that went into a lot of the decision of, hey, if we up this price, they're still going to pay it anyways because <laughs> they, this, this is this is what they know, yeah, right. But on the flip side, if you have solid engineers because right? again, all this stuff is the same CPU is CPU, memory is memory it's, it's all the same stuff regardless of where you run Ubuntu, Ubuntu is Ubuntu it's all the same stuff, so if you have solid engineers, you could for example, have a much easier time maybe of I'm going to make this sound really simplistic so I apologize, but <laughs> <laughs> clone a hard drive, put it into a volume try to run the VM on KubeVert where, you know, maybe you're already running Kubernetes, maybe you want to run Kubernetes, whatever the case may be, and you could do that, and maybe it's gonna take you six months, and maybe these engineers you know, are gonna to have to learn the way that it's done here, but VMs are VMs regardless. And hey, you know what? You might spend a million dollars doing it, but if you were gonna pay Broadcom four million dollars to stay on their platform, it, it may kind of make sense. sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and, and that's kind of the cool thing. Well, that is one of the really cool things about engineering It's like, it's all the same stuff. Like, where we run it, the names of things, etc is different of course, but like the concepts are still the same. So like if you're really strong on the concepts and if you're really strong in the understanding of how software works, how to run it, you should theoretically be able to more or less run it anywhere. Again, there's going there's gonna you know, like you said, if you're running NSX and you're doing this VMware thing and that, yeah, you're gonna have to figure out where it matches in the other world, but it's doable. It's just a matter of right. time.
0: It's a matter of going back to what were the actual requirements that drove that decision. Yep. And how can I satisfy those requirements with a different solution? It doesn't have to be exactly the same. I don't have to copy every single VLAN that I had or VXLAN or whatever, as long as the requirements are still being met. I was just going to say, I think making sure that you look at the value add,
2: like you said, this this is a great time to look at, where your current platform if you're in stock standard vSphere just running virtual machines not that there's anything wrong with that right but is this the opportunity to get an integrated automation platform in Mm -hmm. you know is there another solution that you can potentially migrate to that has without you needing to go and you know spend two months doing a full design and implementation and integration but do they have an automation platform or an orchestration platform that you can easily now take advantage of as well. And what's that going to do for the business? Does it mean that you can provide developers their dev and test environments you know, more rapidly than you could on the vSphere infrastructure? Mm. Does it mean that you can take advantage of some software-defined networking that you didn't have before, It's a great opportunity because of the unfortunate squeeze that's coming Mm -hmm. to look at what it is that you're doing today and what you need out of the platform.
0: My experience with VMware is that the product largely calcified about eight years ago. Mm And everything has just been speeds and feeds and movements for the most part, which is fine, but it means that the operational model hasn't changed significantly. Mm -hmm. And if you're comparing it to the way that you typically manage cloud today, it's so different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is your opportunity to kind of modernize your operations along with the platform you're using. Mm -hmm. Michael, earlier you were talking about an interesting combination of technologies that could help build sort of that platform. And you'd mentioned a few of them like CubeVert, you were talking about Mm Crossplane. Can you expand on that and kind of how those components fit together?
1: Yeah, 100%. In the platform engineering space as a whole, the whole idea is to, it's nothing new, right? It's things that we've been doing for such a long time with (laughs) self-service and blah, blah, blah. But the whole idea of it is like, you have this underlying platform, and this underlying platform has particular capabilities and those particular capabilities are exposed and there's an interface for the internal engineers and developers and whoever because platform engineering isn't just for developers it could be for cybersecurity, it whoever that wants to use it Mm -hmm. your whole plan is just like when you have a platform how are you going to build it what are you going to put in it so maybe it's vmware or maybe it's bare metal uh maybe there's some terraform in there maybe there's a way to create other resources maybe there's monitoring and observability and, and all these different things and like before you know it, and then various APIs and CLIs and all this stuff. And before you know it, you kind of have these like eight tools or nine tools that you have to manage. But if you take a platform that can kind of do them all, like mm. Kubernetes, for example, you have Kubernetes. KubeVert to run and create VMs, Crossplane to create resources outside of Kubernetes. So like I can write a Kubernetes manifest to create an S3 bucket or, or an Azure VNet or something like that. And then you take something like Cluster API to create Kubernetes clusters with Kubernetes. So then you kind of move away from needing IAC tools, and then you know you, you kind of round it all out where you take CRDs and controllers, turn it into an operator, and extend the API to do anything that you want. Like when you take all that and you have it on one platform, you can literally do everything in one place.
0: That's an interesting take on it. KubeVirt is something that I've been hearing more and more about Mm. as people are looking at other virtualization options. And in fact, I have it on good authority that Red Hat has stopped actively working on their virtualization, Mm -hmm. instead to focus on KubeVert and Mm -hmm. integrating it with OpenShift. Why? And can you explain a little bit about what KubeVert actually is? Because I haven't touched it in anger or at all, really. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask a dumb question in a minute as well. Okay, excellent. (laughs) Dumb questions. (laughs) So
1: so number one, you have to remember, KubeVert isn't like running a VM in a container On Kubernetes, that's not what it is. Okay. Kubevert is an API extension, just like literally everything else in Kubernetes. You have the ability to extend the API with CRDs or custom resource definitions, and manage other workloads, mm-hmm. right? So you have your replica set controllers, and you have your uh, Argo CD uh, operators and controllers. And, like you have all these ways to extend Kubernetes. Because Kubernetes, like when it first came out, like what was it supposed to do? It was supposed to schedule right. containers. Schedule
0: and orchestrate. Yep.
1: That was why we had the Mesos versus Swarm versus <laughs> Kubernetes <laughs> yep. Um But now Kubernetes is much more because the value proposition of Kubernetes isn't Managing containers, like who cares about that? We can do that a million different ways. It's the ability to literally take a platform and extend its API to do whatever you want as long as the API exists. One of those things that you can do is extend it to run virtual machines. So, literally, it's mm. a resource. So, like, once you deploy it, you could run kubectl get VM and, like, it's a VM running. Like, it's not a container, it's not a pod, it is a virtual machine resource. And it runs just like any other VM. There's one key difference. You don't have a, a physical hard drive sitting somewhere. So right. you, in Kubernetes, you have something called a storage class, and a storage class is like a pool of a hard drive space, and that hard drive is called a volume. So you attach a, the volume as a hard drive, To the VM for your persistent storage. And then you give it how much CPU you want and and how much RAM. And you even, like, in the Kubernetes manifest to deploy a VM via KubeVert, you set the boot order just like you would in a BIOS. So it's like, it's literally the same thing. It's just verbiage differences. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, what was your question? End of Matt with a dumb question. So
2: (laughs) if I'm a a vSphere administrator or a systems administrator that has vSphere knowledge today Mm -hmm. and I just listens to everything that you said, a lot of that potentially sounds a bit scary. Mm. Um, You know, Kubernetes can be a big learning curve, and it is a big learning curve depending on who you are and where you're at. Mm -hmm. How much really do I need to go through or does my team need to go through to get from, hey, we're running VMware vSphere today, and you may not know the answer to this because you may not have have thought this through or actually done it, but if I'm running VMware vSphere today with, you know, 50 or 100 Mm. virtual machines or whatever, how viable and how much do I need to know about Kubernetes and Kubevert and and what does the tooling change look like as well? You know, you mentioned there a moment ago, a, a Helm chart to provision a virtual machine. Mm. Um, So I've got all of my provisioning processes that need to change as well encompassed in that.
1: Ironically enough, if you have infrastructure experience and like sysadmin experience, you're more than halfway there. Mm -hmm. I started out my career in systems administration and I moved into software engineering like in the middle of my career. And if it wasn't for the systems administration, I wouldn't know Kubernetes at the depth that I know it.
0: Having
2: that fundamental IT.
1: My systems administration experience helped me 10 times more than my software engineering experience when it comes to Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. So, if you're in the VMware environment, take the hypervisor out, right? Whether it's VMware, whether it's Hyper-V, Proxmox, whatever type one you're using, take it out Mm -hmm. and just think about what a virtual machine is, right? If you take that same exact concept, right, virtualizing hardware, it's all you're doing, and you put it wherever you can, you know, it could be Hyper-V, it could be Proxmox, or it could be Kubernetes, because you're just virtualizing hardware. So that whole concept is literally the same. The only difference is, Gotta learn YAML, right? <laughs> <So, laughs> oh. <laughs> Curse <laughs> YAML. So yeah, I mean, you have to learn like the way Kubernetes manifests are or orchestrated, and you also like this may be something different where you have to think about infrastructure, managing infrastructure with an API, mm-hmm. right? Because that's Kubernetes as a whole, right? You're managing infrastructure with an API, uh, with multiple APIs. So that little subtle difference is going to be there, but then also. Let's say you want something like vSphere, some type of GUI like that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where platform engineering comes into play. That's where creating a self-service portal comes into play where like there's nothing stopping you from taking something like Backstage if you're okay writing JavaScript, because Backstage is all JavaScript based. So you can like write your own plugin to just like make it look like vSphere if you wanted to, because it's all open okay. source. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have a solid team of engineers that can create a self-service portal like that and you just take those concepts of VMware and kind of transfer it and just understand a VM is a VM regardless of where it's running, it's not going to be as big of a lift
0: as you think. Okay, that's important to know. I think what's interesting, what you've been talking about, is the fact that if you want to build a private cloud or something similar on your own, there are absolutely open source projects out there that will empower you to do so.
1: 100%. And you don't have to spend any money. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you're going to spend a lot of money on yeah. people, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right, you won't be spending that money on
0: a bespoke solution from somebody else. Right? Then you have another level of private cloud where you can sort of rent the, the private cloud from a vendor who's going to drop some hardware in your location, but they sort of manage it for you. Mm-hmm. And then there's solutions like what Softiron is doing, and there's some other... Mm -hmm. solutions out there that do something similar where they supply the hardware to you and then it's up to you to manage it but they've simplified and streamlined a lot of the pieces that were difficult in infrastructure management before
1: you also have things like RackSpace, right or like and there's other vendors that like there's physical servers and you rent physical servers and a lot of the time like depending on where you're located like you can walk into the data center -hmm. And do what you need to do on that server that you're renting. Like you're not hosting it. Like this company is hosting it for you in some data center. But like it's still physical. It's just it's not in your data center.
0: So a lot of possible decision points. Hundred percent.
2: I think so. Yeah. I don't have any firm data because I haven't actually spoken to any customers who have gone for license renewals since Broadcom have done the takeover. But like you said before, we've heard numbers in the larger end of town of forex and such and. I've heard some in the smaller end of town that are running that essentials package, which as far as I'm aware won't exist anymore because they're mm-hmm. trying to streamline their licensing. Right. And suddenly they're looking at six, eight, 10 times Ooh. to keep running what they've got. So I think there's a large opportunity here for the providers who are, can provide a solution in that you know four to 10 host, mm. you know, 50 to a couple of hundred virtual machine size of environment that quite frankly, I think Broadcom just want to squeeze out of their portfolio. <laughs> right, <laughs> yep. For them to come in with a solution that's going to be easier to manage. It's not going to they have to come in, I think, with the migration strategy as well. Mm-hmm. I think they need to bring that with them and say, this is how you do this and we will help you through it. We will help you get off that platform onto this one. And it needs to bring that value out as well. It needs to be able to do something that they're not doing today. And whether that's the automation, the orchestration, is it the cloud like Uh, consumption without needing the nuts and bolts of something like vRealize Automation or ARIA Automation or whatever it's called now. Mm.
0: Regardless, Broadcom has broken the complacency Mm. that a lot of VMware admins were stuck in, Mm -hmm. and now there's a decision tree and an opportunity, and hopefully they'll look at it that way. I think that's going to do it for today. Michael, where can people find you on the Internet if they're so uh, inclined? (laughs)
1: Please find me on the internet. Um, (laughs) Take me home. (laughs) Get me out of here. (laughs) So LinkedIn is uh, a great place. Just Michael Levan X or Twitter, whatever you like to call it. I'm still active over there. MichaelLevan.net if you're ever so inclined to go check out my new website that I just published this year. Mm -hmm. Please feel free.
0: Nice.
2: Matt? Uh, Yeah, easiest way is probably LinkedIn. But if you search for me, my name's unique enough that you'll find me. So just Matt Alford on all of the socials or the Google
0: search. And ask him about Tim Tams. Oh, yeah. And the Tim Tams slam. (laughs) And the Tim Tams. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I'm Ned Bellamance. You can find me, nedinthecloud.com or on LinkedIn. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks to our guests for appearing on Day 2 Cloud and virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows or feedback about this or any other episode, Hit us up on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me or Ethan Banks, or you could use the feedback form at packetpushers.net slash FU. The FU is for follow-up. Even better, you could join our Slack group. It's a marketing-free zone for technical professionals just like you to vent frustrations, share successes, and commiserate on the best way to rack and cable a C7000 blade chassis by yourself. Hint, don't do that. Ask how I know. You can join by going to packetpushers.net slash slack. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.